Hey, what's up, guys? Lucas Burnley here, along with my co-host, TJ Schwartz. You are listening to the Edge and Flow podcast. Um, I'm super fired up today. I don't know why. Mm -hmm. It's like New Year. Just exciting. Yeah. Um, yeah. We decided Clean just... Slate. You <laughs> Go ahead. It's all in your head, but there is something about it. <laughs> it really is, we man. Humans yeah. are simple. Yeah, fresh starts. I think it's. I think it's just human nature to like mm -hmm. look at cycles and be like, "That was the end of something. This is the beginning of something. Mm -hmm. I am going to rip, and it's going to be awesome." Uh, we decided mm -hmm. to take off this morning with literally no plan. Right. Yep. <laughs> yep. We're just having a conversation. Yeah. Basically, sat down at the computer and launched. Um, so yeah, crickets. What do you, what are you up to? The, uh, like what's your a plan of attack? You talked about this year, oh, man. how you're fired up. What are you doing like this week? Okay. What's so the, while we're at the end of the week, um, this week has basically been the final stages of the most recent, um, Burnley production project, which is the SQD two. Um, mm -hmm. so I have been in full on quality control mode, uh, since before Christmas actually, but we were out for a while. Um, but basically just going through every single knife and I have a little checklist of things that I go over and, um, I've been doing that and I finished yesterday. That's so awesome. That's big. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of get your, uh, your like laser vision on and handle some knives and yeah, look for details. Yeah. It's, it, you know, it's, it's a type of work that well, you're doing a little bit more of it because of the numbers that you're doing, but I'm not used to like, and even you, like you're not sitting down and looking at 500 of something. Not in a row. Um, no, yeah. And so it's, it's kind of nice because you can just get into a real flow with it. And I listen to a lot of audiobooks, and mm -hmm. I kind of enjoy it, but I'm also very glad that it's done. Each one of these projects I'm learning, I'm learning so much because you're essentially dealing, um, well, you and I have been joking around a conversation with OPP, right? Other people's production. Yeah. So you yeah. are dealing with other people's production. Um, and when you have 500 knives, you're seeing the strengths and weaknesses of a system. Mm -hmm. um, it's interesting for me because as a designer, like when we're dealing with a company that we're collaborating with, I think a lot of times we're looking at that and maybe giving feedback on, hey, I'm seeing this problem reoccur. Um, is it something we can look at? but we're not seeing it in scale, right? Like we're not seeing you do a, I do a Boker collab or a CRKT collab. I'm not seeing 500 knives and knowing mm -hmm. like, Oh, this is a reoccurring thing. When I do one of these projects for our brand, I see it. Um, and there's a real balance point of, of like expectation versus reality. Like what is achievable, right? Understanding the system. And then I'm best served by, feedback that can improve my product, but can hopefully also improve the production system. Mm -hmm. Um, and that I think with these, like, as you see more makers doing like these small production projects, I think that the, that is something that a lot of people aren't taking into account. It's like, you look at it and you're like, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to pay my money. I'm going to design this knife. I'm going to have this company produce this knife. I'm going to get this knife. In a perfect yeah, world, a, that's how it works. Yeah, in a perfect world, it's just a conveyor belt with perfect knives coming yep. off and press a few buttons. But yeah, we we all know that's not the case. No matter how big, small, totally advanced, simple. I mean, it's just 
it's a it's an organic mechanism totally manufacturing yeah. someone and, someone on their assembly line can be having a bad day yep. you know um that's right so that's where and then there's there's Monday knives and there's Friday <laughs> Monday knives, knives Friday knives. What, yeah. Like to say. And the batch knives, which is why, which is why at this point I, I'm going through and QCing every piece, right? In an ideal world as like a brand, there's a point that I could, I could order knives, have them drop ship to a distributor and feel completely confident that those knives meet our expectations. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not there yet. And no production project I've ever done has quite been there. Um, mm-hmm. So well, it's good that you're putting that on yourself to do hundred percent QC. That brings a lot of value, right. especially with the eye you have for your own work. I mean, it's your design yeah. and make knives. Man, so. it is, it is hard though, because you're balancing like probably essentially like some heavy OCD tendencies. And I am used to what I put on myself as an expectation when I'm building custom knives, mm-hmm. there has to be, there has to be some flex in there, um, with, with production. It's not the same product. Yeah. It's not a sole source. It's not one person making it from start to finish. Um, so you yeah. learn, but in that you learn, you learn how to work within the system and how to design for the system, right? Process is the product. So mm-hmm. understanding the process R- yesterday, I was thinking about this. I don't know why this, like it was a really accurate parallel for me. Um, if you go get a tattoo, right. And you have like an image in your head, you are far better served by going to a tattoo artist who has, who already does that style of work. Right. right. So if That's you go to someone right. who's like, I do traditional Americana and you're like, I want this, I want this, uh, I want this, uh, Oh man, what do I want a portrait? Yeah. Let's say a portrait. Yeah. I want this portrait of my mom. Mm-hmm. He probably just made a bad mistake. Yeah. Right. So produce production wise, I feel like it's a very similar process. Like if you can tie a model in with a company that is familiar with the type of work that you're doing, you are, you're serving yourself and the company and your mm-hmm. customer better at the end. Yeah. And that's one piece of advice I've given people. I, you know, as a designer who some people, you know, will send me direct messages or emails like, Hey, I'm trying to get started in the industry. I downloaded Fusion. I designed a knife. Here's what it looks like. What do you think? How can I get it made? Like that question, how can I get it made? That's kind of like the big one that we get. And I I, I generally, you know, give good input, you know, show support and stuff. But a lot of times I'll tell people, I'll say, if you want to do this right, you won't design a knife until you already know how and who is making it. Right. Um, because that's paramount to what the design is. Right. And I would design a different knife for different companies for different reasons. And I would see what they're good at. What are they weak at? What's a price point that they are well-branded to target and those sorts of things. And so I I, I like to caution new designers that it's like, it's not about just designing a knife that you can dream up and then just like plugging it into some existing manufacturing model. It's the other way around. Well, and there's a subtext there too, which is Mm -hmm. if you can't tell, like, or if you don't know what that, what you just said, like what it means, that is actually like the first thing you have to learn. Like you have to learn how to see, right? Yeah. So if you can't yeah. see the difference between certain types of design languages, certain types of manufacturing principles or techniques, like that's actually, you're not there yet. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yep. Man. Yeah. One, one, one example I'll just get specific is like, so a full 3d contoured piece of material, right? You might, uh, model up this really fancy, like 
heavily organic contoured piece of material. There's a lot of ways that could be made that have different price implications. So like if you're designing an affordable knife, one way is it could be like stamped aluminum. So they do like cold forged aluminum to make any shape you want. And you can get like, like affordable prices. Like for example, on my Caligo design with CRKT and, but if you didn't want aluminum, then it has to be 3d machine. Right. So it's like, if you got into a, a situation where you had this, where you didn't want to use aluminum, you wanted to use either steel or titanium or something. Or composite. You got to be or... aware that flat with chamfers yeah. would have been a better choice for a certain price point. Right. But if you did 3D machine titanium, like you got to know what the price point right. is expected for that. So it's like uh, manufacturing methods. You just got to have like kind of a index, like a Rolodex in your mind of like how this thing could be made and what price point you're targeting. And that's where you get into, uh, maybe I've talked about it on the podcast, but like the value proposition part of this is that like, if you, in, if your design requires an extensive amount of machining to do something that doesn't really bring value to the z- design, that if it was say flat and chamfered with a cool pattern, people would have liked it just as much. Then that value that you're adding with the machining is kind of wasted right? in a sense. Um, and so it's like, what value do you want this knife to have to the customer and then design it in a way that the manufacturing aligns with that and what the customer expectation wants aligns with that caveat to that um, being a more production mindset. So you and I were just looking at the camo knife that Dimitri mm, yeah. uh, just did. That is a prime example of what you're talking about. Okay. He essentially mm. took three different materials and machined them into a camo pattern and assembled a folder with those materials. It's like a puzzle. It's like a puzzle. And it is, man, it is so perfect because it's not garish. The, each of the shapes is like beautifully designed. Yeah. But that knife as a production knife would just be either. It would be a totally like top shelf, like flex for a company. Yeah. Or, or it really wouldn't be feasible. Yeah. Right. But as a, as what Dimitri does as a very high end custom showing the work and like it's concept, it's a concept car, yep. man, it is so cool. And that's, and that's where that's his value proposition right. is he's going to put, you know, X amount of hours into just having this camo pattern yeah. and people are going to buy it because of that, because that's, that's what they, that's what that customer wants right. in a product. Whereas here, hold on. Getting a phone call, but we're all good. It's crazy to think, I mean, with this stuff, I feel like we, we've probably talked about it a little bit, but like, I think on the custom side, like you say, value proposition, you're buying someone's time. So yep. if we look at time as a non-renewable resource, <laughs> you, that is, that's the value proposition. You're buying a yeah. block of someone's life. Yep. That is crazy. Kind of sounds kind of dark and like, well, in a way it almost is. Right. I think there's there's another facet to that too. Is like if you have the reputation that you know certain makers have, where it's like you can't just call the maker and say, "Yeah, I want you to make me a knife and right. have it in a month." Where it's like there's exclusivity. That's part of that value proposition. Yeah. Is like you're paying for, in addition to their time, kind of like the exclusive right, right. to have that in your possession, which is not easy to come by. Yeah. Um, and so that's where you talk about like secondary market value proposition. But like, I just like thinking about what is the value in what I'm selling and where does it come from? Yeah. And then how do you optimize? Yep. But 
and you can optimize it, like we said, in a real ultra high-end, one-off, crazy Sinkovich out of this world folder. Or it could be you're designing something you want to end up in Walmart. Right. You know what I mean? Like it's the same kind of yeah. thing. Man, it's a it's a really fun process. I don't know. I feel like this this year is I think one of the reasons I'm so excited about it is I see I actually see a bunch of problems um created over the last couple of years in the industry. And I am <laughs> kind of a glutton for punishment, I guess. And I'm excited to like find the opportunity in those. Yeah. Right. You feel the same yeah. way kind of. Yeah, totally. It's going to be an interesting cycle. Oh, for sure. Right. Yeah. yeah I'm kind of charging into this year with a full plate. Honestly, like, I'm, 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 I feel like I'm handling it pretty well. I feel like I'm not like dropping any plates yep. right now, but like <laughs> I've been, my head's been kind of spinning cause I, I don't want to get in the weeds on it, but I'm like forming a corporation, like an S corporation yeah. for tax purposes. And so I'm setting like our, our family up on payroll as like a sole employee nice. of the company and like, kind of like scaling up with my man, with my stuff. It's like part of a, a, a facet of my making is like supply chain management. And so I'm kind of working with that and it's like, wow, there's, it's a very heavily charged first quarter this year yeah. of like, um, growth, I guess is what it you is. You know what though? Things. That's like a night. I think that's kind of a nice way to do it because you're as long as, well, again, different, different, maybe different needs, but like, as long as you don't just try to push that the full year, but if you're starting off kind of charging, if you start to lose some steam, you've already done so much work that it kind of averages out through the year. I mean, the S corp thing for me is a huge one. Like we, we look at like how we make our product. We look at equipment at a point you start looking at your earnings as, as I think both it's a, it's like a product and it's equipment. I mean, it's, it's kind of everything. And so if you can make that, work efficiently as well. I think that's a big, that's a big boon for mm-hmm. us. Mm-hmm. You know, that's for I've, sure. I've been psyched and, on S corp. Uh, yeah. It sounds like, I mean, my accountant says absolutely, absolutely yep. do it, do yep. it. And, uh, the only reason last year I didn't do it is I bought so much equipment that I was able to get through the year in a way that was like, I wasn't going to be super tax liable, right. but this year I, I don't have a list of equipment to buy like I did last year. Yep. So it's like, I've got to be thinking January 1st, the IRS, you know, just like our last podcast. Got to think about yeah. that. Are you going to set up a SEP yeah. like out of the gate? A SEP? SEP IRA. Oh, yep. yeah. Yeah, probably. Okay. Yeah. So even mm-hmm. if, even if just, just for you for habit, like if you're using like Wellfront, right? So you, you can run a SEP in Wellfront and you basically can contribute 25% of your W-2 earnings. Okay. Um, if you don't know what that's going to be, although if you're setting up payroll, like you actually kind of do, you can just yeah. dollar cost average and just start, you know, even if yeah. you're dropping a hundred bucks a month in there, at least you're in the, you're in the river. Yeah. Yeah. That's exciting. No, that's yeah. That, I, 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 like I said, I'm going to sit down with my accountant cause I've basically, I have to get, I don't, I didn't even have an LLC. So I had to form the right. LLC form, uh, like a bunch of licensing stuff. Like I've been basically waiting for paperwork and stuff, but I've got the time, uh, because 
I can form an. I don't want to get too much sure, sure. Reads, but I'm I'm getting a collection of things ready to take to the accountant and then sit down and like this is the plan. This is how much I'm going to pay myself. Yeah. This is this that. So that, like I said, is what's kind of like clouding my mind. Is like I'm thinking of all that on the on the on the kind of fringes of thinking about, like I said, supply chain yeah. management. Because one of the things that's happening is like if I'm I'm I said earlier on a, on an episode that I was, I'm working with tactile knife company to do some bevel grinding for me. Um, so what it's, what's changed hugely and it's really changing the way I look at my business is that I used to be able to order like one sheet of steel, which maybe is like 60 knives and then kind of work through and kind of keep one sheet of steel or maybe two sheets coming and just kind of like a trickle, like just keep it moving. And then there's no, single huge batch happening it's sort of like a flow but with the bevel grinding the way that those machines run it's just like any cnc or lathe or whatever is like you kind of got a front load right. you kind of got to get a large batch together um and so it's like i'm, I'm like getting ready to like kind of pressure test my supply chain to like get a large batch through and then turn it into more of an inventory scenario right where they've already been machined heat treated and ground right. Um, and so I've got, but I've, the hard part about that is I got to decide how many models I'm willing to inventory because that's a lot of money sitting on a shelf. And that's like, that's the question right now is like, I've got all these models in mind, but if I'm trickling, but like before with one sheet at a time, I could launch five models and just keep one sheet at a time and just kind of keep it flowing. But now it's like, well, if I wanted to launch five models, that's Man, a these are lot the so these are like the knives. biggest questions, right? Because this comes down to like the concept of more is more. Mm -hmm. Okay, scaling. A lot of times, I think we look at scaling as like, oh, I'm going to scale this project or this business. The issue arises when everything related to it also scales. Yeah, yeah. So, I think it's worthwhile being super cautious, like how and where you scale, like you're doing one product. That one product is actually changing the way that you are acting inside of your business. Scaling one thing, sure. right? Yep. Yeah. You go, you and do I, five models and it's like all of a sudden there's a need for like outside investment. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> like, no, exactly. That's a, literally the conversation I have with my yeah. wife is like, I was like, if I wanted I, you know, we're talking many tens of thousands of dollars worth of stuff sitting on a shelf, like got to think about the implications of that, you know, and like, would I rather have that finance or would I rather pay cash and grow yeah. it? Would I, you know, like the question is very intense on that amount of money. Um, and so that's kind of like what I'm thinking about going into this year. And, uh, yeah, it's, I've got some solutions in mind, but it's, uh, yeah, it's fun. Can though. I take it? I'm can I take us time. on a tangent? Yeah. Okay. Inside of the knife industry, do you see more private investment coming into small brands? I think so. Okay. The reason I ask is over the past couple of years, it's happened a few times, um, notably. And I feel like it is, it's still a rarity. Okay. Mm -hmm. But. I think that I'm seeing a minor trend start, which is <clears throat> some of these small brands are mature enough at this point that they've had very long-term collector 
slash like community member engagement. And some of those community members are in positions where they're like, Hey, like I have some money to like throw into a project. And like, I've been around for 10 years and I've watched this like grow. Mm -hmm. And I want to like a a venture capital commerce space emerging. Yeah. It's like, it's like, it's like, but on like a small scale. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I just, I've like been watching. I'm like, man, all right. Like there's, there's like a couple that have happened and I'm like, all right, as those are successful, I feel like it's going to start opening up conversations for that to happen more frequently. Yeah. Yeah. No idea on how it'll work out, but it was just kind of a gut feeling that I had. No, that's, that's exactly what's on my plate. Like I said, is the, the, that con that concept of do I, you know, get a leg up and like really go for boom growth right. with like some outside reinforcement or keep it, you know, one thing at a time, kind of slow uh, bootstrap it as like uh, John, John Saunders would say. Yep. And uh, that it, it's just a hard question because it's like, you know, capital infusion, like it, it can be a blessing and a curse. You know, it's like, it's something to be, it's, it's like fire, you know, it can burn you. It can cook sure. for you. It could do, it can take you up and down. I have no, I have no problem with taking loans. I have no problem with capital injections. Um, I have a hard time with giving up ownership. Oh yeah. That's not like that's something that's not on the table. Um, yeah, I think I've recommended for you, like, like the, like doing, um, like Shopify loans, stuff like that. Like there's some really, or like QuickBooks has like small business loans that are really interesting. Um, I, I wouldn't, be interested in a silent partner. I'll say that you wouldn't. Yeah. Like yeah if yeah, I yeah. ever had a brand, yep. maybe probably not Schwartz knives, right. but if I ever like wanted a brand, yep. like I could see a partnership happening, yep. but to just have like a cash based ownership, yep. um, that's just purely m- monetary. Like I think it just would become, uh, ripe for conflict yeah. maybe. Well, the, the, and, the silent thing is for a sole operator. It's not something that is helpful. It, mm-hmm. It's really not unless it, unless your business is like purely based around like cash flow, kind of like, which we're not. Um, I see it as definitely more of like an active partnership on a, on a side note of this, like I'm actually in the process of creating a new business with a partner completely mm-hmm. for both of us as an experiment and like a learning tool. Um, I find that I learn best when I'm actually involved in the process and have to like problem solve it inside of it. Yeah. Um, yeah, but this is a new venture, not bringing a partner into an existing business. Exactly. Um, Yeah. Which, and I understand why people do that, uh, for sure. Yeah. I mean like Jeff Bezos, he owns 16% of Amazon Yeah, because of all the the funding cycles that they went through and yeah, that's just Which how it goes is also for some like big at, a, at a point like of scale, which again, inside of the knife industry, like these companies, these especially the smaller ones, like don't really work like this, right? Yeah. Um, like they're not like public, it's not like there's a publicly traded, I don't think there's a publicly yeah. traded knife company. It's not, you're not, you're not looking for like $15 billion yeah. for some yeah. exploratory project. Yeah. Like a million dollars injection would be like a bunch of projects. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But still for, mm-hmm. for like us little guys, that's a, I mean, that getting past that point, that's tough. 
So mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. Just something that's kind of been like rolling around on my mind. I'm like watching things happen and, and seeing these brands grow. And like, there's, there's a point where you can't, there's a divide that is very hard to bridge for growth, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the phrase John Saunders says is uh, growth eats cash for breakfast. Yeah. And it's, it's very true. It's like every time you try to jump from your current plane up to the next plane, yeah. it just, just cash just burns all yeah. around you, like on that, on that upward move. Yeah. And then you can kind of stabilize at a new level. And and for me, it's like, again, you talk about Jeff Bezos, like he talks about going 25 years without taking, without making money. Right. I mean, and it's hard to believe, but right. it, like, I, I believe that that was true. Yeah. And it's like, well, you can continue to jump vertical planes right. and like climb and never make money. I'm not really interested in growing like indefinitely right. like that. It's like, which plane do you decide is where you want to live? Well, and that's growth uh, at what cost, right? Because there's yeah. no, it works for certain personality types. Like our business has grown and our quality of life has gotten better. Um, mm-hmm. There's areas where sure. I could have like made certain decisions that like might've been like a really long-term play i'm like pragmatic about it too and i'm like you have to plan for tomorrow but like you're not guaranteed 10 years from now so i'm not willing to make decisions that are like the payout is lottery payout in a decade yeah you know i'd rather i'd rather just make like small moves and Mm -hmm. hopefully end up like somewhere near that yeah i don't know i this is like pretty heady kind of it's like very abstract especially for yeah, the types like, of businesses. We're not, we're not trying to rule the world. Like we're not trying to be Elon Musk yeah, here. Exactly. I mean, I'm not. No, me either. That's not my goal. Same. But I think that plays into it, right? Yeah. Because if you are, that's where those like moonshots like come into play. Cause yeah. that's the only yeah. way that you're like, and get that. I big. admire that when it, like I, I, in no way, the fact that I am not looking to be Elon Musk in no <laughs> way makes me look down on that mindset. I think that is a, awesome mindset like honestly it's if you're going for the moon like you you're willing to put 30 years of your life into into a growth cycle that's pretty more, cool more because you, there's yeah. so many things that would never have happened yeah. without that mindset yep. and i i appreciate it 100 yep. percent. i just big that's revolutionary changes yeah yeah man i don't know but here let me ask you yeah. this this is another little facet of what i'm kind of wrestling with this year is like it's funny as i grow like with my shop output it's like every time i I solve a bottleneck by buying like a piece of equipment. Yep. Then the next bottleneck becomes obvious. And then it's like, how many bottlenecks do you solve before you finally find a bottleneck that you can just live with? And that's like the final bottleneck. Right. Does that make yeah. sense? Because right now I've got the spindles. Yep. I've got the, uh, well, I b- just bought a tumbler that I'm picking up like in a week and that should solve that bottleneck for me. Cause that probably became the new bottleneck. What did you end up going with? Just let me digress into that. It's a Mr. Deber, uh, three cubic foot and yeah, it's cool. It's yeah. It's check in in a few months and see how it's doing for you. Yeah. Yeah. I'll let you know. It's I'm, I'm, I bought one. They actually had it in stock local, which is crazy. And so I just bought it like literally physically went in there and looked at it and bought it like a, like a four wheeler. I need to come out and hang out with you. And we do like, I don't know, like go look equipment shopping in Boise or something. <laughs> yeah. Point. Even if you go to the, all the knife yeah. manufacturers and look at, but, okay. but yeah, Back I bought on track. it. I, the only thing is I had to wait on the media. So I, I, I didn't want to pick it up and do all sure. that until the media arrived. Cause it was a special yeah, thing. Doesn't do any good. Um, but 
the uh, as soon as I had the tumbler, I was like, well, now the sandblaster has to keep up with the tumbler, which is fine. The blaster I can do it, but now my compressor suddenly became in question, and so I was like, well, <coughs> I didn't even think about. Uh, so <laughs> the 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 final bottleneck, I think I can solve in my current shop that involves like a equipment purchase is a screw compressor. Mm. And after that, I, I really am tapped out for space and whatever bottleneck emerges after that is probably just going to be it for this shop. Um, and so that is where, yeah, I'm shopping for a five horse screw compressor. Kaiser air tower five C. So, I want one. I don't know. Just don't even don't mess I, with it. Here's here's my thought though is like my space is so limited that here's my little my little idea. Okay. So the actual compressor on a screw compressor is really small. So like if you get a five horse compressor from like either Quincy or Ingersoll Rand okay. or like uh, one of the kind of standard air compressor brands, they're usually about twenty four inch by twenty four inch footprint. Okay. It's like a cube, okay. but they usually mount it on the tank, right? And so the tank hits, sits horizontal. I can't fit a horizontal tank. Right. It's just way too big. My idea is I'm going to put my current compressor, which is a big enough tank, 60 gallon, put it outside and then only have the compressor inside okay. because it needs to be, okay. and then have the, it be like a slave tank that's being aired sure. up. And it's also, it still would have the compressor on okay. it. So it's like if in a bind, if my screw went down, I could actually run that compressor and it would help run the shop. But the, I'm going to put the screw compressor on a shelf so that I gain all the floor space of where my compressor currently sits. And so then, like I said, it's like six feet off the ground in the air, kind of like a compressor. And I gain the floor space underneath. Yeah, that makes sense. uh, That, that I have to think in terms of space almost as the predominant thing. Like I just totally can't fit anything more in my shop. Like not even one more thing. What is that? It all, well, it almost doesn't matter because space is the, is the primary concern. So what is that compressor screw type compressor head cost? The, 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 the screw itself, the compressor yeah. unit is like 5,500. Okay. So, and it's, it's like a, like if I went with the Quincy, which is pretty highly likely, sure. uh, it's a really good and brand. And it's small it's enough really that you can mount reputable. it up there and has the duty Yeah, 24 inches square by like 30 inches tall. Uh, the only thing is I have Maybe to 30. figure out what the air intake and like heat signature of yeah. it is to make sure I don't like isolate it just, and heat it up. Just look at the 5C too, because it is vertical. It is fairly small. Yeah. I know you, I know I'll like you're it. saying like this is rock in a hard place, but I've yeah. seen your growth too. Yeah. And like, I don't even know how much longer you're going to be in that shop. Uh, who knows? Maybe not a whole I lot mean, I mean, in you know, probably not this year, mm-hmm. but you might very well be out of there by next year. So 5,500 bucks. It's like if you're at an, Yeah. Yeah, I'm curious to see. Well, the 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 thing I, I look at too with it is like the in the future, uh, what a lot of machine shops do is they'll have two compressors, sure. and they neither of them may be quite big enough to meet the demand that they have. But what they'll do is you have adjustments on your compressor, like it'll air out until it hits a psi, and then it sure. kicks on the the pressurizing. And so you can have one compressor at like 10 psi lower than the second sure. one. So that the first one is doing all the heavy lifting. Sure. And then if it gets over overburdened, yeah. then the other one like Kicks helps. And then so, uh, and that way you also have the redundancy of like, you'll never be without air. Yeah, I don't know why I'm two. so, yeah. I don't know why I'm such a nerd about air. I have the Kaiser and then I have a backup compressor. 
but, yeah. but the Kaiser <laughs> is got, got 20, setup. I want to say it's either, it's either 21 or 24 CFM at a hundred percent duty cycle, hundred percent. That's fantastic. And it, and so, it has a, an, a chiller in it. So the air is dry. So it basically goes through an air conditioner. Mm-hmm. Right. And yeah, with the Quincy, that's one thing is I would have, they also make the dryer. Yep. So the dryer I would have to, um, so you would have to buy reasons. the, you'd have to buy the dryer, yeah. buy the Quincy, it's about a thousand wall mount it. So you're at 6,500. Yeah. And then you, you've got the two. So, I mean, you have an outside area. You could do an air tower and put it outside. And then when you go to a new shop, that compressor my, actually satisfies your need. My only problem with that is I've heard with the screws, they're very temperature sensitive because they, the tolerances of the screws themselves, if it's like cold, mm-hmm. they'll buy, like, they'll have more friction. It's kind of like a cold diesel engine or something. Just, it's like, try to keep it. I've seen like, try not to run it if it's below a certain temperature ambient. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's, that's my only yeah, issue is like, I just don't think I can put it outside. Yeah, so you throw the head. The, the, uh, uh, and that's the thing. I mean, a lot of these are, they are not, they're not like ideal solutions. It It is fully environmental and need-based solutions. And like, if yeah. you spend 5,500 so, on a compressor and run it for a year and make the product that you need to make paid for itself, it's worth it. Yeah. And I, and I also think like I, the CNC's don't use hardly any yep. air. Like they just sip. They just barely, I mean, you could run like a little pancake compressor and run your yeah, CNC. Like four CFM it's, or something. It's just, it's just the blast cabinet. Yeah. That's the only thing. And the, and I don't think I'll grow within any reasonable amount of time. I don't think I'll grow to where I'm going to have two blast cabinets running full steam at the yeah, same yeah, yeah. time. And so it's like the bottleneck currently with the air, like it shouldn't be a bigger bottleneck really ever. Because if it's like, it, you may have to spend more hours on the blaster, but as long as the CFE, CFM can run it, it's just more hours of running. I mean, but if I ever had two employees running two cabinets, then yeah, the air would be and, a big and problem. And the CNC's but, running and yeah. Yeah. But the, I just don't see having two, two cabinets with two guys blasting. Like I just, I don't think I'm going to be there. Yeah. I don't, I don't see that as part of the, Makes the sense. situation. I think small shops are such a cool learning tool just because you you have to develop a certain type of efficiency. And I'm like dealing with some of the same stuff, which is I've got my Haas TM1P, which is more table space than I need and less tools than I would like. Mm-hmm. So now I'm looking at the sile because it's a smaller footprint and it has more tools. Yeah. But the footprint is actually one of the main things that I'm looking at. Like if I can gain another four feet of space, like, you know, a 16 cubic feet or something like that, or maybe 20 cubic feet in my shop um, or square, square yeah. foot, I guess. Um, means something. It really does, man. That's an extra, that's a whole separate machine. That's like, yeah. I could get a, just a full size bridge port and, and yeah. I want one. So, yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's, that's, I'm thinking literally I, I'm half a shop manager and half like a Tetris yeah. guru. I love it. It's like, I'm getting to where it's kind of funny. Yeah. Like if you come in my shop, cause this tumbler is huge. It's like 40 inches yeah. long. It's I've got the exact spot for it. And it's like, I'm getting to where it's like, you know what I mean? It, Do you have anything no, on wheels yet? Um, I've got not really. Okay. But the problem is at least it's so tight that there's nowhere to roll it. 
Like no matter what it so was. Do you, like, okay. Just, so if you look at your like benches, cause I, I'm like trying to remember your shop layout, but like mm-hmm. you don't have bench with another tool that like rolls out from underneath it. Or, uh, do you have toolboxes under your benches? Like, are you maximizing under the spaces? benches are fully yeah, utilized? Okay. Uh, but they're not, it's like the things that are under there are like, uh, like a large trash can. All my, my, uh, my actual stools that I like sit on go under there and then totes. I've got yeah. totes under my benches. And, uh, and yeah, so it's, I'm just, get, uh, like I said, I'm just getting all the Tetris and like going with the compressor up high is like the first time where I'm kind of doing like 3d yeah. Tetris, yeah. <laughs> you know? And so it's, it's just funny. Max, it's going to be like drop down things. Yeah, I know. Right. I love it, man. I would, I would be psyched to see a book on just shop organization yeah. from this standpoint. Cause they exist like woodworkers. Y'all are lucky. There's a bunch, there's like so many like garage woodworking shop. Like there's these beautiful books that show this like great organization. Um, like knife making, tool making. It doesn't really, I don't think it exists the same way, but there's a lot of cool solutions. Um, Mm -hmm. we've talked about Bob T in the past. Like he's, he's a great example. It's like, he really, he's always, as long as I've known him been in fairly small shops, but they are just so well organized and thought out. Um, it's like fully featured when I got to say, dude, I love my shop. Yeah. Like I, I go out there. I'm so happy with it. Like I'm really, I'm really happy yeah. with it. It's like, I don't, my mental picture is not desiring more yeah, space. Yeah. Like I don't, I almost have, have fun with like the Tetris Same. part of it. And, uh, and so it's, I, I really like it. And, um, do you have wall cabinets? Yeah, it's, it's limiting. Like, like up uh, above. I have, so I have shelves that are about like 30 inches. It's a, like a nine and a half foot ceiling. Mm-hmm. And so I've got shelves that run like two of the of the walls, yep. like the whole length of the shop that are up high, like above head height that are full of like totes, yep. because that's where basically my wife and I kind of made a deal because like our shop, my shop was kind of like a normal garage right. before I bought the Tormach. And I was like, OK, we got to make a deal. We got to put everything that's not shop related on these shelves. This is what we have. And so she kind of organized and was like, we got to get rid of this, this, this. So it got like reduced down to like, this is where our Christmas ornaments go, blah, blah, blah. (laughs) And that's all up high. So like anything above eye level for me is like, that's not the shop. Right. You know, that's just garage stuff. We do, we do it like a storage space. And we've got one too. We've got one too. And it's like, (laughs) is it a business expense? Yeah. See, I mean, it's like, that's just, I don't know. It may be debatable, but like in my mind, my shop displaced this stuff. And so uh, my, ours ours for... is mostly business stuff, like, um, mm-hmm. but I just realized, yeah, small, small spaces. The next one for me will be wall cabinets. So I don't mm-hmm. like to do any cabinet that would take up bench space, right? So yeah. like everything for me should be table height with storage below and above. Um, mm-hmm. Storage can be either for something that is a piece of equipment that can roll out or some type of toolbox. Um, I, I just think that there's, there's a modular aspect that allows you to really increase your functionality based on the tools that you don't need all the time. Like it's so easy just to like put all the tools up on a bench and just leave them there. Mm-hmm. But it's, I, I don't, that. I don't like clutter and it starts to yeah. waste actual usable space. Um, mm-hmm. So, well, one thing I got to figure out, maybe you've seen something like this. So I'm, I'm starting to accumulate pallets for the machine. Mm-hmm. So it's Pearson pallets and Saunders machine mm-hmm. works pallets. Luckily they're, they're all the same 
dimension in the Y right. direction. So they're like, I think it's 12 inches. Yep. Uh, no, no, they're not that big. Maybe it's eight. I don't remember. But anyway, I need to make some kind of rack yep. to store them because they can't be dinged or damaged or like a baker's yep. rack. Something something like a baker's rack that's on wheels that rolls yeah. under one of your benches. Well, I was telling my wife, I was like, what can I Google that has that sort of form factor? Yep. And I baker's rack didn't come to mind. Yep. So that's good. And point. then you can adjust be, you, if you do it, like you could even do it out of 80, 20 or something. Yeah. But you could have it to where if you had like, I don't know if your fixtures have height to them, but like, like three inches or something, four inches probably, yeah. right? Yeah. You could do it to uh, where two, if you had a six inch inches. one or something. I mean, yeah. but yeah, if you had a, well, I was, a three inch t- or a three foot tall rack on wheels where your fixture slid in yeah, and you only need two and a half inches, that's the majority of your fixtures yeah. right there. Like a giant VCR cassette stack. Yeah. I'm struggling yeah. with tooling arms for my grinders. Um, oh yeah. Which I have a, pro- I have a problem with man, that too. I, Cause I have so many, um, just for different, like, like mowing platens small and like, wheel. you know, small wheels yeah. and like slack platens and all this like weird stuff that like I use very infrequently, but they're cumbersome. They're, they're like heavy and I haven't figured out like, all right, what, yeah. what is it that I'm thinking some kind of wall mount? Like yeah. lately that's, I've that's been, smart. I'm really into this you, idea of, have you ever seen like in a, in a kitchen where they like, say you have like a, like a mixer, and it's inside of a cabinet, but it's on like a cammed table. Oh yeah. My parents have one okay. of those. The thing's awesome. So yeah. I'm trying to think about things like that in the shop. So like, say I've got pretty tall ceilings, like 10 foot. So say I had mm-hmm. in my grinding room on one section of the wall, essentially a, a tooling arm rack that slid up the wall and just had like some kind of like ballast you know, yeah. or like, like gas cylinder like a garage or door. Yeah. Kind of like, a, like, and just go, when it's out of the way, it just goes chunk and is up at the ceiling. <laughs> Dude, if you come up with a cool solution for that, you got to <laughs> tell know. me. Cause I, I, I don't have very many attachments cause I don't, I don't do a whole lot of grinding, but I've got like three attachments yeah. that are floating around yeah, I've and I've just been shelving them like yeah. on the short end. The other thing is I always cringe when I set the rubber wheel on a surface. Cause I'm like, I feel like if it's going to sit there a long time, if there's like a little bit of pressure on one spot on the wheel, is it going to like bulge it or put a flat spot on right. it or something? So yeah, I'm you never like, like lay of... them on the rubber. There's yeah. so there's that, there's that scale thing coming back in. Right. Which is like on one hand, it actually, if someone could just come make all this stuff and I could just be a huge nerd and like optimize the mm-hmm. workspace, <laughs> mm-hmm. I would be psyched. Yeah. It's hard. How do you like a shop? Floor well, how do you specialist? Like I built a forge cart for my forge as is in the name a while back Mm -hmm. and it, man, it was delightful. I just really enjoyed it. I didn't, I didn't take it all the way to finish, but I got it to where it's on wheels and I can put my forge on it, but that's, that's work time. Mm -hmm. So how do you, when you're busy, like how do you allocate that time? What do you consider that time? Do you do it in blocks? Do you do it like, so I, I don't know if it's the way I always want to do it, but because I had so much of that this year with all the new stuff and all the new shop up improvements, it was Saturdays. Like, yeah. honestly, it was just, I just, I didn't work hardly any Saturdays that I was actually making product, yeah. but like I would talk to my wife and say, you know, this month I probably got to work a Saturday because I need to get the garage door framed right. in or whatever. 
and I would just knock off a Saturday and like get a big job done. And I don't know if I want to, well, the nice thing is I'm that type of project for me is definitely waning. I'm not seeing so much work. And and it's cyclical as our, as like the boys are getting older, I'm trying to do that less. So like, I've always said like the week is in the business. Saturdays are on the business. So like if I'm working Saturday, it is organization. It's, it's like fabbing stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but yeah. at this point, I think too, you and I are both in a really sweet spot as far as the age of our kids, because mm-hmm. they need us, but they don't need, like, you don't have little league games yet or, or yeah. like dance cl- recitals or, or whatever it is that is like a reoccurring, mm-hmm. you know, hobby on their, or, or like, you know, after school activity or whatever on their side. And as they get older, that's really gonna, I think, start to come in more and more. I got a f- a funny little thing. Delta was in the shop with me the other day. She, she's starting to spend more and more time out there with her. She puts her headphones on because I my compressor. And so she, that's another reason I want the screw is so that my kids can spend more time out there. But anyway, she's sitting. I'm like, uh, I don't know. She just sit right here at this bench on the stool. Like I looked around I'm like there's nothing she can really break or like cut herself. And I look back after I messed around with something else. And I had two big bins of black and brass eyelets. And she had mixed them all together. <laughs> and I was like nice it was really funny i was like i i I was like she could play with those like she'll probably just like i don't know dink around and then she's just like over there digging it's it's so good i had um bo started jujitsu again last night so like he started when he was four like kind of was tired after school like really squidly like would lay on the ground and roll around and lately he's been asking for it again so Maddie took him to jujitsu. I picked Winston up from school. We we're walking back from school. He sees a shop. He's like, work shop. We're one work in the shop. I'm mm-hmm. like, all right. It's so funny how they interact with it differently. Bo loves mm-hmm. to come out here. He wants to go sit at my drawing table and he wants to draw knives. Winston wants to be fully down in the shop. Wants to know what all the machines are. Yeah. Want like, give me that welder. I'm a bead. Yeah. So we, we sat at my, um, fixturing table i actually I, I'll, I'll have to post on instagram because it's pretty cute but we just we we have like um i forget what they're called but it's like uh like a, ex, you know expanded metal like little tractor kit you put it together with screws and and yeah. nuts and man we sat there for probably an hour just putting it together and he was psyched so that's awesome it's, as as like i see these videos of like shop folk being like, it is the best thing in the world to have your kid in the shop. And like, it is, but it's also stressful because yeah. it's, well, it's, look, we make knives. Yeah. Like we're not making furniture. Yeah. It's, da- I mean, there's things that are dangerous. It's active. Yeah. There's things that like he's grabbing, he's just like reaching up on top of tables. And so at this point I'm like, he's only two and a half. So I'm trying to basically just like, okay, look, like when you're in this space, like we, we are interacting like a little bit differently and like, here's where you and I work and here's what we're working on. Basically like trying to teach the concept of like the shop, the shop ultimately is for work. So like when you're mm-hmm. welcome to be out here, but we're going to be, we're going to be working. It's not just like yeah. unsupervised, like dink around, dink around like rompus. It's room. not a play. Yeah. Room. Not a play room. The rainbow. Um, room. Yeah. I don't know if that's like the right or wrong way to do it, but, but, it, oh, but it's important. That. And I really, I think with kids at this point, I'm really trying to figure out like what, like of, of my skill sets, like what I can give them of a positive nature, like 
hopefully avoid as much mm. trauma as possible and like give them as yeah. many just like intuited abilities. So I don't know. Yeah. It's fun though. I think, it, I think there's a lot yeah. of value in just, just letting them be around like, yeah. cause they'll know what you do too. Right. There's a lot of kids yep. that don't know what their parents do connection. for a living. Yeah. I think that's kind of a cool connection. Yeah. I grew up in a leather shop, which has its, has a few sharp pointy things laying around, but like, I actually could kind of, it's a, it's a very quiet, like my dad listened to Mozart yeah. and like Beethoven when I was a kid. So, so it was like that kind of shop versus my shop, which is like, you need to block out the angry noises. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, that was, but yeah, I mean like my sister cut herself pretty good one time with a knife, a leather knife on accident. And yeah, there's a few little things, but growing up in a shop, like you just kind of got to learn few things i think it's good there's so much like common sense you know but like also like meeting them where they're at and giving them like i'm trying to figure it out now of like what what can i let them do or what can i include them in we had we had like a big batch of range dry patches a while back and it was great man like winston winston has a a type of focus that bo bo doesn't he bo jumps around more he sat with me for like close to two hours I would, I would like QC the patch, burn the edge, hand it to him. He'd put, put two of them in a bag and we just did that. And I was like, all right, that's like, he loved it. It actually helped me. Maybe it mm-hmm. took, maybe it actually took a little longer. I don't know, but it was so satisfying. I was just like, all yeah. right, cool. That's like the level you can actually come in and you can do work like an adult, yeah. but it's, but also showing that work can be enjoyable. Yeah. Yeah. Like, that's pretty cool. That is really cool. Yeah. That's again, that's part of why I'm getting the tumbler is not only the bottleneck aspect and the blast and the, uh, air compressor is the tumbler is way bigger yeah. and it's probably not going to be quieter, but it won't have to run as long yeah. to do the same amount of work. So I have more time in the shop without it running yeah. in theory. And then the air compressor, obviously my piston compressor is like a freaking sledgehammer yeah, on a metal door. Like it's so bad. I had one for like probably 10 years. Yeah. And you, you don't notice how atrocious they are until you get rid of it. And then you're basically like never again. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's just, and it, and my shop's connected to the house. Yeah. So it's like, I mean, I'll forget I have a ball valve to like isolate it at night because I have a little leak here and there and like the machines yeah. and stuff. And if I forget to turn off the ball valve, I'll be laying in bed and I'll just see it. <laughs> and it's like, geez, <laughs> things freaking loud. It's like a jackhammer. Those are, and so, that, that's like evolution of the shop. I think like in the beginning, it's like you make things work mm-hmm. as you progress. It's you make things enjoyable. Yeah. Right. That's why you see these like, yeah. you know, like shops from like older, older craftspeople. And they're just, it's like, you're like, I kind of would like to just maybe live in there. Like it's like yeah. there's bookshelves yeah. and like, <laughs> you yeah. know, like beautiful awesome. cabinetry and stuff. Speaking, mm-hmm. speaking of cabinetry, um, and organization and like all things. Okay. So I've never done a lot of woodworking, super interested in it. And there's a real benefit. Like I would love to just be able to make a cabinet for my shop. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Festool. Are you familiar with Festool at all? The, the name rings a bell, but I'm oh not that familiar. Oh my God, man. Um, go down a rabbit hole on that. I went, um, we have some friends here that are fan builders. Um, their, their Instagram is how we adventure. Mm-hmm. I went to a Christmas party at their shop 
I didn't know that guys like that lived in Bend. Yeah, not not at all. No. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's strange. <laughs> um, yeah, so they they build absolutely beautiful vans, and one of the nicest things about them is their cabinetry. So I went into their shop, and there's no dust, and I know they do their wood cabinetry in the shop. Everything you would love it. Like maybe when you come visit, like maybe we can go run by and see them, but the dust collection system, it's, it's, they're German. They fit into these small modular boxes. And what you usually see is people like one of the first projects is people build like a cabinet that fits all of these different tools. And then they all plug into this really powerful and efficient dust collection system. So it's small form factor very little dust. That's awesome. It is. It's amazing. So I'm like, I've been trying to figure out like what, what like a base setup for a corner of my shop. Cause if I can do it and have like mm-hmm. really minimal dust, they said, basically they're like, yeah, well, the dust that we do have, we can just sweep up, but they're like, there's not, and they don't even have air movers in the shop. Like I have air handlers in my mm-hmm. ceiling. They don't even have that. So well, it's pretty cool. That's fantastic. Cool. Yeah. I, gr- I grew up doing leather and wood exclusively and honestly i didn't even drill a hole in a piece of metal until basically when i started doing all this stuff so So. you and i are completely (laughs) reversed yeah because i I mean i started welding when i was 16 so it's Mm -hmm. like that's all i've ever done is metal yeah maybe i said this on the podcast for the one little exposure i had that did get me excited about metalworking is i had a friend that his parents owned a construction company like big, like mm-hmm. they had like a 20,000 square foot shop for like working on like front end loaders and stuff. Crazy. They did like gravel crushing jobs, like crazy large, like highway department jobs. And we, at, at like nine years old, we, his parents were very free range. We could run around in that shop and literally do whatever we wanted, including like using the welders and the press brakes and like hole punches and stuff. Dude, press break. And so that is sketch that sketch i was gonna say like as long as someone kind of knows what they're doing with a welder and like you throw on a hood yeah. you're fine press break man i don't know if i would have that flexibility yeah, yeah. it was it was honestly in th- thinking back like w- the free range aspect of it was insane but like that was the first time i ever welded he's just like uh <laughs> go over there in the corner where that pile of metal is and like find some and then just come over here and it's like oh i i welded and it was like <sighs> only cool. the only oversight was like another 10 year old it was pretty fun. I'd love that actually. Yeah. Like, yeah. Huh. It was a blast. Pretty cool. What else, man? What do we got going on? Um, I got, I got a request for this year, but I don't know. I don't know what yeah. it is yet, but you and I did shows last year. We will probably end up doing that. We have to get together and actually like do something. Just yeah. visit at a shop yeah. or record at one of our shops or something. Yep. 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 Let's make it happen. Yeah. I was telling, I was telling Becca, we need to put it on the calendar. Yep. Like, this week and just and not like you know what i mean yep. this week we need to find a date later yep. um and just put it on there yep. so we can get together because keep talking about it and we keep not but doing that i mean so. it, man it's hard if it's not on paper it doesn't exist yeah you know yeah so yeah, yeah this, we'll this whole week of maddie and i have and... just been like what what are we doing this year like and mm-hmm. trying to really look at it from a standpoint of what are our actual like priorities and goals and then trying to like back into it and build everything else around that. Because I feel like so often, mm-hmm. like we look at it and you're like, Oh, I want to do this. But then nothing that you're doing is actually like leading yeah. towards that thing. Yeah. Yeah. 
You have to have like a material set of goals and a material game plan. Well, maybe we need to figure out what what to do if we hang out. I guess podcast is an yeah. easy one. Maybe that's step one. Maybe it's also like something that's completely not work. Like maybe we just make a point to go camping. Go to a cabin. Oh, that's a good one. I've, we've, if you want to go into some cool, cool places in Idaho, my wife's side of the family, they have two cabins. Maybe we could go check one or a out. little overland trip or something. Yeah. It's a good plan. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, man, I feel like, I feel like I've got all my, all my points out for today. What about you? Yeah. No, okay. solid. <laughs> it was like a nice, good. nice year beginning yeah. conversation. Um, yeah. Cool. Let's call it. Let's wrap 2023, it. 2023. Let's rock and roll. Yeah. Happy new year's guys. Yeah. All right. Peace. Peace.